Carl Dix is on the line with us, and he is going to be talking about the hunger strike at Rikers Island. And I'm just going to give you some background uh, from yesterday's article that was in The Gothamist. Uh, incarcerated men living in a jail facility on Rikers Island say they are on hunger strike. Protesting conditions such as lack of medical care and access to other services that have persisted since last year due in part to the COVID-19 pandemic and lack of staffing at city jails. While the Department of Correction pushed back on the severity of the strike now in its fifth day over the past year, now a sixth day going into seventh day, right? Over the past year, more than a dozen inmates have died in custody. Violence has increased and backlogs in the courts due to the pandemic have kept people behind bars for longer periods. And there's an interview with a detainee by the name of Irvin Bowens, who reports that his unit has been denied access to mail and packages, recreation, mental and medical services, and the law library to work on their cases. In a voicemail left with an attorney, he said these are mandatory minimum standards for a human being. And the attorney, Christopher Boyle of the New York County Defender Services, estimates about 200 people at the Robert N. Daverin Center on Rikers Island have not taken meals since Friday at midnight. He said staffing shortages meant fewer services and unit and the unit where their house is particularly cold during this week. Everything is limited to a degree that's never been seen before, Boyle said the attorney, and they've had enough. They finally said this is what we're going to do to get some attention. Boyle first publicly sounded the alarm about the hunger strike at a Board of Correction meeting on Tuesday. He said if you got 200 men that are committed to a hunger strike, you know that some of those guys are ill or diabetic. What do you think is going to happen in the next 24 hours when they're not eating? I just don't know what you all you are all doing when this is going on and you're not doing anything about it. Other hunger strikers complain of the cold inside their jail dorms as temperatures plunged below freezing this week. Lack of medical care appears to be the most significant issue for people incarcerated on the island. Council member Tiffany Caban, whose district includes Rikers, told the Board of Correction that she met a detainee on an unannounced visit last week who told her the only way he could see a mental health professional was if he cut himself and was placed on suicide watch. The Department of Corrections said in a statement that detainees are refusing meals provided by Rikers but are still eating food purchased from the commissary. A spokesperson also said the warden is in talks with the men and is working to provide safe conditions. Most of the approximately 5,400 people at Rikers are pretrial detainees who have yet, who have not been found guilty of any crime. So that said, uh, and also with the new policies, uh, uh, Alvin Bragg, the DA, his new policies where basically they're not going to be prosecuting people or at least arresting them, putting them in jail unless there's like blood at the scene of the uh, of the crime. So uh, that, that to me is a welcome change and uh, away from the whole 1980s uh, Reaganism that, you know, as uh, as supported by both both Bush's and the Clinton administration and Biden when he was vice president and before that when he was in the Senate of uh, turning people of color into so-called super predators and stuffing them into these friggin prisons. And now, oh, now after all these years, you're looking back on that time period, which was so acceptable to so many people, but in fact was a shame on America. Really? A shame. Really? Something that akin to the antebellum days of slavery. I mean, it's going to be looked at, you know, what people called like, you know, when they were calling out welfare queens, Reagan, right? He loved that kind of stuff. And and uh, Clinton and, and claiming everybody was a crack baby and uh, everybody deserved what they got. And it turned out now 
with the light of history, they're saying, oh, these guys were white supremacists and fascists and not the great, both on the Republican and Democratic side. I find that interesting. We're going to be taking your calls, by the way, at uh, not 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. But first, I'd like to uh, introduce our guest who's been following this very closely, Carl Dix. Welcome to WBAI Radio Unnameable. Uh, thank you for having me on. Right. So I wanted to take a few minutes and give the background to what's happening because a lot of people don't know there's a hunger strike going on right now at Rikers or the conditions that exist at Rikers Island. Uh, it seems to be a place where... There, as they slowly close it down and move people to other prisons, they're sort of left a bunch of people, a couple thousand people they've sort of forgotten about. Well, it's not that they've forgotten about them. It is that they are continuing to enforce the kinds of conditions that prisons in this society are supposed to enforce on people as part of a control mechanism. And not just for the people in jail. It's a message to people outside the jail that this society has no future for. This is where you could end up if you don't toe our line. And, and that's what's going down here because the 200 people who have been refusing food since last Saturday in the morning, they're kept in metal dormitories that house 50 people each. They're not ventilated, so they don't protect you against the, well, they're not insulated. They don't protect you against the cold. They are also not ventilated, which is crucial in a period when COVID is spreading. These dormitories have no individual cells. Each of the four dormitories has 50 beds crammed into them, put close together, in a period where COVID is spreading. And in fact, the people got put in these dormitories as a measure to deal with COVID. And it's actually creating conditions where COVID could spread. People have been locked down for more than two weeks, not allowed outside of those dormitories, not being taken to their hearings in their cases, not getting mail, not getting phone calls from their relatives, not allowed video conferences with lawyers. And you mentioned Christopher Boyle. He has now found out, not from his clients in, in the prison, but elsewhere, that his phone has been blocked by the authorities. So his clients can't call him which definitely means they're not getting their cases worked on. But it also means that retaliation could be coming down on the people who are taking this stand. And the word wouldn't be getting out. And it's very important that people look at this example of people in prison, locked down, who are saying, we're not going to take this and standing up and fighting back. This is a bold example, and it's one people need to take up. And people need to reflect on some of the things you said about Rikers overall, because 87% of the prisoners are black or Latino. Many, many of the people in Rikers are there for pretrial detention, which means that they're there because they can't meet the bail 
that the court set. So you're in jail because you're poor. In Rikers, part of how they control people is a combination of beatings at the hands of the guards and allowing prisoners to beat other prisoners. Did you see that video? Um, I think it was on uh, uh, Carl Dix. Thanks for joining us here on WBAI. Mm -hmm. It was a video on, um, I don't know if I saw it on uh, Facebook or Twitter, one of those uh, social media sites. It was actually taken from security camera footage, and it showed a fight club being carried out with a a guard who's present while the head of the Trinitarios gang was like uh, betting on was massaging one of his guys to send them in there for the fight. So they were having like, yes. like the like Friday night fights in there. This is part of how they keep the prison running. They enlist some of the prisoners in keeping it running by doing things like fight clubs, like one group of people, call it a gang, call it a set, whatever, get control a certain part of the prison and bully other people who are not part of their set. This is all part of how they run these prisons. And the other thing that you need to talk about when you talk about Rikers Island is solitary confinement, because that amounts to torture. And we saw the impact that that could have in the case of Khalif Browder, a young man who was arrested at 16, charged with the theft of a backpack, which he continued to claim his innocence of. He was held there for three out, three years, most of it in solitary confinement. And he committed suicide upon his release. Mm-hmm. These kinds of conditions, there's been talk. And Laylee in Polanco, I wanted to mention that case because a number of people have mentioned that, and we've been covering that here at BAI, who was a uh, 27-year-old Afro-Latina transgender woman who died at Rikers Island in June 2019 in solitary confinement after she was failed to, they failed to provide her with medical care that could have saved her life for 47 minutes following epileptic seizure. Yeah, and see, she was one of 16 people who died in Rikers Island. Last, last year alone. And we're talking about Rikers, but we have to recognize this concentrates the way things are in prisons across the country. It's not just a Rikers Island problem. Prisons, along with cops and courts, are a part of how people who this society has no future for are kept under control and how the conditions of racial disparity, degradation, get enforced in society. I've called the combination of police terror, mass incarceration, a slow genocide targeting black and Latino people, and a slow genocide that could become a fast one. And, and actually, before we go any farther, I should say who I am. Yeah, I, I, some, we didn't some jump of your that. audience yes. may know who I am, but yeah. just for the others, I want to catch everybody up. I'm a longtime revolutionary. I'm a follower of Baba Vakin. I'm a revolutionary communist. And I have been active on the front of police terror and incarceration for decades. I was a co-founder of the October 22nd Coalition to Stop Police Brutality in 1996. And I co-initiated with Dr. Cornell West the Stop Mass Incarceration Network. And together we started the campaign to stop, stop, and frisk. So you know where I'm coming from on this, or you got a sense of where I'm coming from by who I am and what I've done. 
Mm -hmm. See, what's important about this is I've been involved in a lot of efforts to expose the horrors of prisons and of policing. And doing that has gotten responses from some of the authorities, some politicians who start to talk about, well, we're going to reform the police. We're going to curb prison abuses. They've even talked about closing Rikers, but it has been a long, drawn-out process. Observers have said that the conditions in Rikers are worse than ever. And now you've got the new mayor coming in, the new black mayor, but his colors are being shown to be blue. He wants to bring back solitary confinement on Rikers Island. He wants to bring back stop and frisk. He wants to reinstate plainclothes police task forces like the one that murdered Amadou Diallo in a hail of 41 bullets, and he wants more funding for the pigs. So reforming the police through pleading with the authorities and even getting progressives, trying to get more progressive people elected to office, is not a way that we're going to deal with this problem. Mm -hmm. This problem... Well, what about, okay. speaking of uh, elected to office, uh, Alvin Bragg, the new okay. DA, I, I've never seen anything, I've never seen a DA, I've lived my whole life in New York and I've seen them all, uh, this is the first DA, DA I've ever heard of who's talking about, you know, chucking out pretty much the whole war on drugs. Yes, Bragg is talking about that and there's been a wave of such DAs across the United States. I think Krasner in Philadelphia, Fox in Chicago, somebody in San Francisco, I can't remember their name. Chesa, Chesa Boudin, right? Chesa, yeah, Chesa, Chesa, Boudin. Chesa Boudin. There you go. Thanks for that. New Yorker. But what ends up happening is that these people are not allowed to carry out their programs because you, you saw that when Bragg wrote this memo and circulated it, he got hit by the new police chief coming in over it. And he had to go on the air and begin to explain, well, I'm not going to let bad people out, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we really got to deal with it because one of the issues that he was getting hit over was that he wasn't going to prosecute people whose charge was resisting arrest. Oh, no. That's 100 years they've been using that one. That's like the, that's the charge where you did where you did nothing. Resisting arrest many times. <laughs> I think half of New York has. And yeah. what it comes down to is, if your charge is resisting arrest, well, why they why the hell were they arresting you in the first place? And resisting arrest by itself should not be a crime because you shouldn't be arrested unless there's a crime you were committing, right. and if you weren't committing a crime. They shouldn't have arrested you. So it's, uh, it's a form of pre, uh, you know, arresting you. It's a question of you where is this going to go, and it hasn't gone forward because they've been talking about mass incarceration for a decade or more now. The number of people in prison is roughly the same as it was when they began to talk about we have to release the reduce the number of people in prison. They've been talking about doing something about police getting away with murder for a couple decades since the resistance grew and spread nationwide. Police continue to kill a thousand people a year 
and a couple hundred of those people, the police will admit, were unarmed and not doing anything criminal when the cops shot them or choked them to death or beat them to death. So reforming this criminal injustice system that they operate is not a road for dealing with that problem. And uh, What is the road? You're begging the question now. No, I'm not begging the question. (laughs) I'm leading up to the question. I know. Bob Bacon's put it out there. He's analyzed that the only way to end the epidemic of police terror and genocidal mass incarceration and all the other horrors the system perpetrates is through an actual revolution. Millions of people rising up to overthrow a system that can only function by mistreating people in this way. And that's what's going down around this. And this is very a very timely thing to raise at this point. Because in a new talk that Avakian has uh, issued, he speaks to why this is a time when revolution becomes possible because of the infighting that's happening at the top of the system. You know, because people can look at, say, January 6th and the anniversary of the mob attack on the Capitol that was trying to stop the processing of the election and trying to keep Trump in power trying to pull a coup in other words Mm -hmm. and you have one side saying oh no that wasn't a coup the problem was the democrats were stealing the election you have the democrats correctly saying this was illegal it shouldn't have been allowed to happen but the people who you know were the heads of it and, and pulling the strings on it none of them have been gone at at this point and that fighting is revealing a certain unraveling of the normal way the system operates. You got the Republicans changing laws to rig elections while at the same time making it clear that they're not beyond using force if the elections don't go their way. That actually opens up possibilities to bring forward a revolutionary people. And that's something that we're working on, you know. And, well, this is a little that, off the subject, but you know, you well, you got me interested. No, I'm not saying not to do it. To the subject, yeah, it's because, related. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't have a problem. But it's, it, it, I'm going to ask a question now that goes careens away from the subject and talk about January 6th for a while and talk about the fact that the right and the uh, the uh, uh, oath keepers and all these groups, the Proud Boys, have been talking about uh, civil war and uh, that they want to launch a civil war. And when you talk about Revolution is that the same as what the right wing are saying about a civil war? Are you saying the inevitability? It's a good idea to have a civil war. No, I'm not saying it's a good idea to have a civil war. I'm saying it's a good idea for the overwhelming millions of people who have been beat down, exploited, and oppressed by this system need to recognize that for what it is. Recognize that their problems come from the system and not from each other and not fall for the thing of being divided up and fighting against each other, whether that's, you know, street gangs in the Bronx Mm -hmm. or in Bed-Stuy or, you know, white people in Appalachia who don't have enough to eat and are being fed the Confederate flag. People have to get out of that and see that the problem is the system and that they need to come together against the system and rise up in revolution because the system is not going to grant you power they're not going to allow you to vote capitalism can i ask a dumb question though carl how is it possible to get a middle-class country of 
millions and millions of small business owners like the United States of America to go for a socialist system. It, it, it seems like mind-boggling to think that you could make a leap like that in this country. Well, the point is there are large numbers of people in the society who are really in angst about what's been going on. I mean, you saw the millions of people who went into the streets last year around the murder of George Floyd. That included a lot of black people, a lot of brown people who had suffered police brutality, but it also included a lot of people who had not suffered at the hands of the police, but did not want to live in a society where that was the regular thing for a lot of the other people that they lived among and around. And people were even saying, raising demands like in white supremacy. Well, white supremacy is baked into the foundations of America, and it is all tied up with capitalism. And we need to bring that to people and get them to understand that. And, yes, we're going to need to struggle with a lot of people and get them out of the ways that they're thinking and acting, you know, because uh, you raise the, the fight clubs they have in the prisons. Well, the people in the prisons are among the people who most need revolution. But they are thinking and acting in a way of, I'm going to get my group together and we're going to go for ours. And if we have to take it from some other people who are just like us and in the same situation as we are, then that's what we're going to do. Well, that's something we got to go to work on. We got to struggle with people. We got to get them to see that they're doing exactly what their oppressors and exploiters want them to do. We're going to have to also struggle with the widespread individualism, which does have some material base in the large number of middle-class people in this society who think that they got where they are on their own efforts and don't recognize that it's the foundation that was collectively built historically by laboring people who make all of this stuff possible in terms of where the ability to have colleges came from. And, and if you go back far enough, it even comes down to where the wealth in this country was extracted from the labor of enslaved people, was extracted from having stolen the land from the native inhabitants, extracted from having super exploited working people many of whom came over as immigrants either from Cal uh, Asia to build the railroads or from Eastern Europe escaping famines. We have to bring to people an understanding of the actual reality, which will be a struggle because you got people at the top who are saying, we don't want the actual reality brought to, brought to bear. They want to make it illegal to talk about the real history. Right. And I want to, I'm going to put it, I want to just hold it there. And uh, it's 1234. I know half an hour I said, but I want to keep you on in case there are anybody out there who wants to call and directly ask you about this stuff. Our number is 212-209-2877. I'm Paul. This is Radio Unnameable. Our guest is Carl Dix of the Revolutionary Communist Party. This is your chance to ask him your questions. We're going to just take a 30 second break.
And we're listening to The Clash, Police on My Back, from their album Sandinista. And you are listening to WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. And our number, 212-209-2877. And I know some folks say they've had trouble getting through uh, for some reason from calling this. All I can say is just keep trying. All right, we got somebody on the line, so we'll give it a shot. All right. Uh, you with us, Carl? I'm here. All right, here we go. Welcome to WBAI. You're on the radio. Hey, how you doing? Um, yeah, I've heard Bob Vakey, and this is very nice and idealistic, and it's total bull. It's the animal farm syndrome. You think we're going to get liberation. Uh, communism did not work too well, and most of this is a movement toward totalitarianism across the world, not just here. It's happening because we're way overpopulated. This whole pandemic probably is an attempt to really kill people. The injections they're giving, these, these so-called injections of, um, what do they call it again, the uh, inoculations, you know, are probably going to kill people in five to ten years. Okay, there was a lot there, and we're getting way off the subject. Uh, we are, we'll leave it know, at that. idealistic thing about we're going to solve all these. The Supreme Court agrees. The Supreme Court agreed with you, right? I do. Look, I used to believe it, too. But re realistically, history proves that this does not work. But we want to put it in a, to in, a, in a question. We want to put it in the form. I, I want to move on. We have a lot of calls. Faking is not the answer. Uh, do you have a question? Uh, put I it in form. basically agree. With All right. In terms of a question. Uh, hi, you're on the radio. Okay. Uh, uh, talk directly into the phone. Yeah, I just was. Is this somebody else? No. Um, yes, this is another person who's just on. We're going to get probably take a few in a row. Go ahead. Okay. Mr. Dick? Yeah. Uh, yes? I'd like to know whether the, the party would reconsider its its strategy on uh, defeating the uh, pandemic and look more to treatment of disease and expansion of medical care, especially health care. One of the grievances of the people on the island is insufficient medical care. And if you look at how medical care is delivered in this country, it's for profit. And when profit gets in the way, people die. All right, great. Thanks for that. So uh, basically there are two calls. One says uh, it's a pandemic. The other is... Uh, the present caller is uh, a little more rational, I think. And what's your, what's your response to those last two calls? Okay. Well, let me start with the second call first. Mm -hmm. We have a constitution for a future socialist republic in North America, authored by Bob Avakian, and it lays out what society would be like in the immediate aftermath of the revolution and the months that followed and how it would move forward to deal with the contradictions and inequalities left over from capitalism. At the heart of that is that meeting people's needs is not best done by making it the subject of somebody making profit. And that, especially, that would be especially true in the arena of health care as opposed to Somebody's going to profit over the needed medical treatments and care that people have. That would be something that would be socially provided. Health care would begin by having basic health care free. 
and moving towards having all health care free. And that's the direction that people need to take things in. And he tied it to the hunger strike, which is actually a very important thing to look at, because what is actually happening right now in Rikers and other prisons is that people who are being arrested and held in jail waiting trial or even convicted and sentenced, their punishment is now having included with it the very real threat of catching a very serious disease that might kill you and being in a position where they are totally blocked from having any treatment, any vaccines, and any... uh, testing to determine this you're saying that this is that these people in rikers are an example that's held out there this is what's going to happen to you that's why they do this yes that's what they're up against and one of the things that's happened with the hunger strikers is they don't get access to the doctors because they're not letting them come out of those uh dormitories that they have them and at a time in a pandemic like this you're actually saying that your your punishment includes the possibility of contracting this very serious disease that could kill you unless you have access to vaccine, access to treatment, because there's an antigen treatment, not the Mm -hmm. horse dewormer, but an actual scientifically based treatment. But the prisoners don't get access to it. Let's this jump to the first caller. That, going back to the first caller, the it, first caller put a lot of stuff in there. I know. That's why I was trying to get him to focus it. I really I didn't you mind were trying him. trying to do that. Yeah. I, mean, I, was, I in, didn't in mind him being of, on or anything, but he just had to focus it a little bit better. In terms of what he had to say about the pandemic, this is like conspiracy theory on top of conspiracy theory. There is actually a very real disease that spread around the world. It's infected millions and millions and millions of people and killed five million people. And that's what's going on now in the midst, through the mechanisms of a profit system, there are forces that are profiting off of dealing with this. That doesn't make the disease not real. People are actually dying. It makes the need for vaccines very important. And vaccines have been developed that are effective and and safe, and people need to take them. That's the only way we're going to deal with this. On his point about, well, this is idealistic, but it's actually leading to totalitarianism, that is just not true. This is not idealistic. This is scientific. It is based upon, and it goes back to what Karl Marx and people following him like Lenin, like Mao Zedong did, And to say that it proved that it didn't work is also not factual. What actually is the case is that communist rule, where it existed in places like the Soviet Union and China, got overthrown and overthrown from within. And Mao Zedong in particular worked on how that happened, how that came forward and fought it through unleashing a cultural revolution that had people from the bottom who had been born after the revolution and involved them in fighting to keep the revolution from being taken back. But after he died, his... 
we got another call coming in. We're overthrown. And see, this is again another real thing. And people need to go to the website, refcom.us, to dig into this and actually get to the reality. Because they accomplished many great things in both the Soviet Union and especially China building on the Soviet Union. But proletarian rule was overthrown. And there's analysis on that website about how that happened, what was achieved, what obstacles they ran into. Also on that website is the new talk from Bob Avakian, something terrible or something truly emancipated. Profound crisis, deepening divisions, the looming possibility of civil war, and the revolution that is urgently needed. A necessary foundation, a basic roadmap for this revolution by Bob Avakian, and it's there in text and audio format. So you're not just anti-government. You're not just well, anti-government. I'm not, I'm I mean, not anti-government. I'm anti-capitalism. Right, right. That's a distinction because, because it, will take, yeah. it will take a revolutionary government to administer society in the aftermath of the revolution and remake society. Right. Because we're not saying to people... But hey, you can understand how people, a lot of people are so bitter, and that feeds a lot of these conspiracy theory ideas that uh, that the government is just evil. And if anything, the Democrats are even worse than the Republicans in the crimes committed by Clinton, and et cetera, et cetera. Well, look, I formed the Stop Mass Incarceration Network and the um, October 22nd Coalition to Stop Police Brutality in periods where there were Democrats in power nationally because what the democrats and republicans work together on is maintaining capitalist imperialist rule right now they have a very sharp difference on what's the best way to do that and grouped around the republican party is a fascist movement that has the initiative and they are really looking to bring into being a fascist form of rule it was no accident that all of those Confederate flags were flying in D.C. Why is it January so hard to convince Americans that that's what's going on? Because it's been hard. They go very quickly towards these conspiracy theories. It's the evil government. The Democrats are the same as the Republicans, even though Trump is an open fascist. And when you say fascism, it just bounces off people. It bounces off or they say they're both fascists. And that's partly because people don't actually know what fascism is. They view it as a dirty word to use against people whose political programs and agendas you don't like. And look, I don't like the Biden agenda. I think it is capitalist imperialist, but I also understand it is not fascist. I have studied enough fascism to know that you don't want to be messing with fascism. Right. You think it's hard to make revolution in a regular capitalist imperialist society Try making it in a fascist one. Try right. making it in a setup like they're getting the seditious uh, conspiracy uh, charges. How how would we like to get the conspiracy the seditious conspiracy charges? That's what they would be doing to us. All right, here we got somebody on the phone. You're on the radio. Welcome to WBAI. Question. Um, my question is, where are you calling from? I'm calling from um, from Valley. I'm calling from Hicksville in Long Island. Cool. Question for Carl Dix. Um, I just wanted to know, what does he think of the current state of politics due to, like, um, Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema that are kind of just backlogging important issues in Congress right now? Okay, well, look. Cinema and Manchin are 
capitalist politicians who have carved out an approach to um, succeed in their particular arenas. Neither of them seem to see themselves as we're looking towards higher office. They're more looking at how do they stay in office where they happen to be right now. Manchin is in a state that went heavily for Trump, and he has carved out for himself, uh, I'm Joe with the working man. Even though he and was I'm very friendly what, with all these right wingers, wasn't Joe Manchin involved with that whole criminal activity around the uh, coal mines? And wasn't he indicted at one time? There's some story behind him. He has very close ties to the coal mines in West Virginia, and that's something that people who have whose legacy is in the coal mines need to really think through, because. Mansion's ties to coal are not to the coal miners, but to the people who own the mines, who work the miners damn near to death with black lung and all the rest. That's something that people in this country have trouble breaking through on. You know, yeah. that you and the boss, your interest ain't the same as theirs. Right. And Mansion has the image of, I'm with the people, but he works closely with the capitalist interests who are very deeply entrenched in West Virginia, and that's coal. Also, to a certain degree, oil is developing there. And he is looking at how do I maintain my position right here? Cinema, a little different, but basically the same. How do I maintain my position here? How do I ensure that I'm here for a while? And that, for them, it comes out to... I'm not with this agenda yeah. that Biden and the other Democrats are running down. And this thing about, well, we have to keep the traditions of the Senate going. We can't mess with the filibuster, et cetera, et cetera. If the Republicans won't get with us, then I guess we can't do anything. And Republicans are basically saying to you, we're going to make it as hard as possible for people who we don't think will vote for us. We're going to make it as hard as possible for them to vote. We're going to move to take away a woman's right to choose to have an abortion. We're going to go for the jugular on immigration and all the rest. And Cinema and Manchin are saying, well, let's see if we can work with them. And you can't work with these fascists except on their terms. And we should remember, though, that Joe Biden was, as he came into office, actually saying that, too. I can work with these people, even as the people were basically telling him, you know, no, you can't. Look at our, our own vice president. We're now saying hang him. They were saying hang Mike Pence. Right. And, he, and what is it about, uh, just to start, you know, what what is it about fascism? When we've been talking about that, we got into, slipped into this fascism discussion. Uh, what is it about fascism that uh, acts like a, it's almost like a sleeping powder? that you just sprinkle fairy dust that turns people into something different than you thought they were? Well, you actually have to look. I mean, we're in America. America was built on slavery and genocide and has continued to maintain those traditions all the way through. And I, and there's, I know there's all this talk about the arc of justice is long, but it bends in a good direction. No, the arc of justice 
can smack you back in the face if you think the arc of justice is going to take care of it for you. This is a capitalist imperialist system. It's based upon exploitation. It has white supremacy and male supremacy built into it. And that exploitation and oppression is what is going to go down and what you're going to get unless and until you get rid of this system. And as I raised before in talking about Avakian's new talk where he gets into the profound crisis and deepening divisions at the top of society and lays them out in a way that no one else is speaking of today. And then, even where people are beginning to recognize that, they've got no commensurate problem because Biden talked about, you know, the people who are opposing them on voting rights are lining up with George Wallace and all like that. Well, there's some reality there. There's a direct line from the Confederates to the fascists of today. And that's why I said before, it's no accident that there were all those Confederate flags flying. Mm -hmm. And and in fact, he was saying the thing about, well, you're going to line up with Jefferson Davis or Abe Lincoln. Well, you know, frankly, to be real, there's a lot of people who were part of that mob and who were part of voting for Donald Trump who would choose Jefferson Davis in that situation and go back to states' rights. Even though he wore a dress to try and escape from the Yankees? Well, I don't think a lot of people know that. They don't know that he, he was caught in a dress, escaping, <laughs> trying to, to escape? You have to know a little bit of history to know. <laughs> That's the funniest part of Jefferson Davis's life, is yeah. being busted in a dress. And they might excuse him for that. They might excuse him for that. As, <laughs> well, he had, to, he had to do that to try to get away. Right. But this is the reality that we're up against, and a vacant not only analyzes that reality, but he points to a roadmap that gets into the way out. And, look, if you really want to do something about the horrors that are looming over us, and I haven't even mentioned yet the destruction of the environment of the very planet that we live on, and you've got these fascists saying climate change is a hoax, but then Biden's got no program on the environment either, because while he will say some words about, well, we got to go back to the Paris Accords and all of that to deal with the environment, the Paris Accords were not dealing with the reality of the environment because you got capitalist imperialists, all of whom are saying, I'm not going to give up anything that might let my capitalist imperialist rivals get a leg up on me to do something about this environment. So well, they're competing and taking us over a cliff. Yeah, the well what about becomes, what about this whole idea stop? that oil all the things that we are forsaking now is the horrible impact on the environment has the reason why uh, the world actually has a much higher standard of living than anybody thought would be possible in the last 20 uh, 30 years. Look, that was the form of energy that was employed to build up production in some of the wealthy countries around the world. That was the case, but then you have to look at where it got us. And it got us not only to higher levels of production and material wealth, which is very unequally distributed, by the way, even in those wealthy countries, but it also is having an impact on the climate around the world. I mean, the Polar ice caps are melting. And see, I see the commercials all the time Mm -hmm. about the polar bears losing their homes. And 
Right. That's bad, but it, there's more than that going on because as the polar ice caps melt, the sea level around the world rises. Well, you've laid out so all these New problems, gonna, Carl. What New York day- is going to become like Vienna yes. unless something is done around it. And day one, day one of the revolution. Day one. The revolutionary government one, comes into power, day one. The revolutionary government comes into power, and we actually stop a lot of things. On the front of the environment, we stop the drive for this country to become, to try to stay uh, an energy exploiter, exporter through oil, natural gas, and coal. We stop that. We stop on the social front attacks on rights of women to have abortion. We stop police getting away with murder. In fact, we're going to have to disband the police forces. We can't immediately abolish the institution of police, but we can get rid of these institutions and actually replace them with people who actually are going to be public servants, who are not going to be people who are going to say, I feared for my life, so I shot him, and then get a pat on the back and get to walk away. They're going to be actual law enforcement professionals who would sooner take a bullet themselves than kill or injure. You know how much trouble I get in suggesting that, Carl? I suggest that on this air all the time, and I get in so much trouble. I'm waiting for the calls to come in now. That is the point that gets everybody the most upset when you say that it's not a policeman's job to come home alive but to serve the people. Well, that's what the role is, and you're a law enforcement professional. So why does the law enforcement professional get to kill a 12-year-old sitting in a park by himself who has a toy gun? and say that he was trying to save lives by killing this young man. This young man was no danger to anybody. The cop rolls up, and before the cop car comes to a halt, I'm telling you exactly how Tamir Rice in Cleveland got murdered. Within two seconds of appearing on the scene, the cop shot him. Got off because he saw a danger. He thought himself or other people were in danger, so he had to kill this kid with the toy gun. How about L.A. in that, uh, in that Burlington I Coat can, Factory? The woman who was uh, in the dressing room. Yeah, the girl, 14. The guy, there was a guy with a bike lock who was messing with people. He was hitting people with it. You needed to stop him. He actually didn't have a gun, though. You didn't need to fire a fusillade of shots at him. You bring a bunch of cops in. You isolate him from people. And you can deal with that. A professional should be able to deal with that without endangering all of the people. There was actually a time, as as, you know, Carl, as much as we think about the bad old past, there was actually a time before all these Supreme Court decisions that gave cops all this power to kill people when they were a little more judicious and were more apt to hit you with a nightstick or something rather than shoot you, and they seemed to get along well doing that. Well, I know that's not, not, I don't want to take their side. That's another discussion yeah. because I grew up in the ghetto in Baltimore. Yeah. And cops were never nice yeah. in the ghetto. Well, but it's not nice with a stick walk, or a gun. Yeah, okay. They beat you with nightsticks instead of gunning you down. But they were never law enforcement professionals in that way. I remember one night when uh, a cop 
handcuffed and was dragging an epileptic woman that everyone in the neighborhood knew was epileptic. I was about six or seven years old at the time, and I figured, well, he must not know, and I went up to tell him, mister, she's not drunk. She's sick. She needs her medicine. He pulled his gun out on me, threatened to shoot me. I'm six or seven years old, and I'm not a big guy who looked older. number of adults came around. He called for backup, and a, and a police riot occurred in that neighborhood. Cops just showed up and started beating black people. Mm-hmm. And the cop who started this was black, one of the first black cops on the force. And it's more to do with position than race. That it wasn't skin color. Yeah. Because his color was blue. Right. We have another caller who wants to talk to you. Oh, I guess not. We lost them. I'll give them another chance. Uh, Just to start wrapping up, thanks for staying on. Much longer than we thought, but uh, I think it was a very interesting and productive conversation. And uh, you're on the radio. Welcome to WBAI. Paul? Yeah, go ahead. Question or comment? I'd like to challenge Mr. Dix on this. This shot thing to uh, stem the the, um, the pandemic. If you do the science, even the people who who invented the shot tell you that it fails to stop the spread. If the purpose is to stop the spread, the only way to stop the spread is to treat the disease as soon as possible. And there are treatments now, low cost treatments, as compared to the high cost industrial um, uh, pharmaceutical pharmaceuticals on the market that will stop the disease. We need to talk to people who are curing people of the disease rather than talking to people who are panicking people to take te- thousands of tests that don't work, that weren't even designed to do what it is that we're asking it to do. We need to test for the amount of antibodies in a, bi- in a person's system. You can you put that in that terms of a question, though, so we can come bring to a point? Oh, sure, surely. Would the party okay. reconsider its backing of everybody taking a shot in which the, the, the purpose of the shot is to produce a spike protein in the body, which is what the virus uses to cause inflammation in the body? All right. Well, I don't know if that's exactly what we we have to bring okay. on a medical professional for that one, but I'll let you uh, yeah, I, I, deal with it if you want to, Carl. Here's the deal. Yeah. Here's the deal. Vaccination is a way to deal with disease, and I say that as somebody who's old enough to have been a child when polio was a tremendous scourge, and people were very concerned about polio. Who's worried about polio now? Why aren't there? Why isn't there worry about polio? Because a vaccine was developed that was widely used. I remember it well. And polio as a serious disease, I don't think it exists anymore in this country. There are places in the world where it still happens, but it doesn't exist anymore. Vaccination is a way to deal with disease. These vaccinations have been tested. People who are upset because they came up with them quick actually don't know exactly how they were came up with. This coronavirus is very closely related to an earlier coronavirus. Uh, I think it was SARS-2, SARS-CoV-2. And the work that was done to develop a vaccine for that virus was the foundation on which this vaccine, these vaccines were come up with. And... They have 
played a very important role in helping to stem the spread of infection. That's one level they work on. Another level that they work on is undercutting the severity of infection. But hasn't the medical well. profession tried to uh, wipe out Native Americans with uh, smallpox-infected blankets and black people with the Tuskegee experiments and uh, the list goes on, radiation experiments? I, there's, there really is. A, a, I have a book on just plutonium experiments on prisoners that's like 800 pages long. Yeah, I mean, I know that history, and I'm not arguing that this government is our friend and are, is doing stuff around this pandemic because it likes us they're doing stuff around the pandemic because they're capitalist imperialists they need to have a functioning economy they can't let a disease run wild they have to take steps to try to control it and there are people in the sciences when unleashed and allowed to do so will actually go to work and develop scientific approaches that are founded on in reality and, and in science. And, you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't know all of this stuff personally, but I have talked to people who are doctors. I, I talk with them around the time that I got coronavirus myself oh, to try to understand this and uh-huh. develop a course to deal with, a course of, of treatment to deal with it. So this is not a hoax. This is not something made up. This is not just talk to anybody who's ever had it. <laughs> it's not a hoax. The virus. Yes. They came up with the vaccine in order to kill people, to inject, what is it, some tracking mechanism in you. I mean, look, if you got a cell phone, they've already got a tracking mechanism in your pocket. Of course. They wouldn't need to go through all this. Unfortunately, I wish more Americans were involved in revolutionary activity that meant that they had to be careful about who was following them around. Instead, the only thing they're doing is going to the bar. I hate to be so (laughs) cynical, but that's the way it is. Well, we only wish that we had ration- we get people out of. reasons to uh, hide our identity from the police. Okay, well, we've gone well past the half hour. You <laughs> yes, you were great. Thanks for it. Well, let me give you a couple of minutes to you know to tell people what information they need to know. Okay, well, I I don't need a whole lot of minutes. Let me just say this: follow the NYC Revolution Club. On social media, it is planning an action in support of the hunger strikers. Look for that. Go to the website, revcom.us, for analysis and reports on what the revcoms are doing around the country. And watch the Revolution Nothing Less show on YouTube. It's uh, Or here on WBAI, too. We have Sansara's show here. Tonight, I was going to bring you to Sansara's show. All right. I jump in on that. We Only Want the World, yeah. hosted by Sansara Taylor on WBAI. Sansara is also a co-host of the Revolution Nothing Less show on the RevCom's YouTube channel. They premiered their third season tonight because they premiere on Thursday night. Go to their YouTube channel, and you can look at their previous episodes. The one tonight's important because they were laying out parts of the plans of things that they're going to do this year, including some very important activity around fighting against the attempts of the Supreme Court 
in the fascist section of the ruling class to take away a woman's right to abortion. January 22nd is going to be a key moment in that. And uh, I forget the website you could go to. Well, you can go to RevCom.us and find out about it. All right, cool. Well, thanks a lot. Uh, Carl Dix for joining us for a whole hour, more than an hour on, uh, on WBAI and, uh, and, uh, enlightening us to a new way for a lot of people looking at the world, a little different than the, uh, uh, revolution doesn't necessarily mean you're against the government. It means you're against the system and its backers within the government. But we, why throw the baby out with the bathwater? We might want to keep that government and do something with it. Well, we need a different kind of government. How would Let's we keep it? Would we smash up the whole thing, or would we take over part of it and just change the people well, in it? Well, we would have to get rid of this government and construct a new one. So smash up everything? The initiative of the masses rose up to make revolution. This is all, all actually spoken to in that constitution right. for a future socialist republic in North America. But I just find that amazing uh, because, you know, they spent 200 the years. Yeah. Go there. 200 years building it, it we're going to smash it down can we build it up back up fast enough that the, they wouldn't take us over you know does that be possible um, yes we could work we could take it down out. and build a new one at the same time yes wow yeah that, that what an adventure that's a whole new conversation that you're opening but it's up an here. interesting one it's, it's a very interesting back. one it's because that's the excitement that would make it an adventure and uh Because I've gone past my bedtime. Yeah, I'll let you go. It's good. No, 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 it's good, good, good. Thank you, Carl, for staying on. We can do that conversation. Yeah, yeah, another time. Absolutely. Another time. Well, I don't know why that's going like that. Oh, thank you. Oh, that was the specials. All right, thank you very much, Carl Dix, for joining us on uh, a little different than the news format, a little more uh, free form here, but that's what it's about, free form radio. So thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me on, Paul. Oh, it was great. Good time. Thank you very much.